Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastek. Summer is here, and the grills get scraped clean, the buns are split, and hungry Americans get set to boil or broil their vwoshts, wieners, and sausages. In the summer of 2021, Jamie Loftus drove from coast to coast, tasting the vast array of hot dogs that America has to offer, consuming as many as four a day, and in one notable, or perhaps regrettable instance, five. Chicago style and the Coney Island special, drive-through and deli, Chile and chili, or chili and chili, Loftus devoured them all. Her ensuing book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs, brings the glory and the gory. In fact, it may be the first book I've read that details not only the different genders of pickle jars one can buy at a gas station, but also the horrific treatment of animals and workers at slaughterhouses, conditions that got distinctly worse during the pandemic. Jamie Loftus is a stand-up comedian, TV writer, and creator of such illustrious one-season podcasts as My Year in Mensa and Ghost Church, and she joins us today to talk about the wild world of this iconic American food. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Jamie. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. So first off, why hot dogs? Why not like hamburgers? Um, Hot dogs are the closest to my heart. And while I love hamburgers, no disrespect, um, I feel as if hot dogs um, have kind of a stronger uh, symbolism. Uh, I, I don't, I honestly, like given the choice between a hot dog and a hamburger, I could go either way. But with um, intense jingoistic uh, symbolism, hot dog definitely um, takes precedent. And I um, was kind of surprised that there was not uh, more written about them. There is some, but not uh, not anything that tried to address positives and negatives within the same <laughs> work. It's usually like falling on one side or the other. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of highs and lows, um, some of them at the same hot dog place even, definitely historically. Can you kind of give us a quick tour through, as you call it, the pre-plumbing pop culture to the <laughs> humble origins of our, our saucy little dog? Yeah, our, our our saucy dog, I mean, in ways she's existed since, you know, the cave people uh, with, I mean, uh, I learned a, a lot from one of one hot dog book that I really um, love is called Hot Dog A History by Bruce Craig, um, where he sort of attempts to find where the hot dog comes from, which means you have to figure out where the sausage came from. And it's almost impossible. It predates the written word. Uh, the, the modern hot dog came to the U.S. from uh, Germany, Poland and Austria, mostly. Um, those were the countries with the most prominent uh, sausage making culture that came to the U.S. And so they became really popular and they became symbolic in the U.S. Uh, closer to the Depression and World War II and sort of became this symbol of uh, in- industrialism because uh, you see sort of this shift from, uh, you know, home like neighborhood butcher shops to actual factories and, and uh, meat packing and then uh, factory farming the further on uh, the line you go. And it also sort of becomes this symbol of the working class. And there's still a lot, I mean, almost 100 years old now, there's a lot of um, old hot dog stands that uh, their original pitch was like, it's two meals in one. Um, it, it's so a low cost food that will keep you full for 
a while. So it's slowly just sort of um, developed this reputation for being both convenient, delicious, and disgusting. And that's been consistent for the last 100 years. I think it's interesting, too, that there's like so much like self mythology too about these hot dog stands like you think about the greats like nathan's or you know chicago dogs and it's it all like harkens back to like this one guy with a truck who pulled him up by his bootstraps and then like created the world's best hot dog but that's like not really true is it Mostly not. There are individual businesses that um, that is actually true and and great for them. But most of the I, I found most of the hot dog origin stories, um, as did Bruce Craig. Uh, yeah, most of the hot dog origin stories you hear about, like one day a guy was holding a hot sausage in the palm of his hand and thought, "This is too hot. I got to put this in somewhere." Just like goofy, goofy stuff. But it reminded me so much as I was going through, even though it sounds kind of old timey, the way these stories are presented, because they're from the early 1900s. Um, they're not super dissimilar from a lot of equally implausible stories that we hear from like tech startups right now. Like, I'm just some guy in a garage with a dream. And you don't mention, you know, all of the institutional support in your really wealthy family, you know, and all, all that stuff. There's so much obfuscation. And it's it was fun and frustrating finding it in something as sort of like simple and commonly accepted as a hot dog. Yeah, I mean, I I want to get to the fun part too, but I do feel like we have to like acknowledge the ugliness and the grossness course, that you mentioned yeah. as part of the hot dog, especially because you're you're doing this road trip, which does not sound like something anybody should replicate. <laughs> having read your book. It's but so you do funny. <laughs> like th- I've been hearing that so much since the book came out and I was like it really was fun <laughs> for me, maybe not for everybody, but I was like, you know, at the end of the day, almost everything went wrong. And I'm like, will I do it again? Maybe. <laughs> well, all right. That aside, it's a, <laughs> it, you do it during the summer of 2021, right? It's like, it's not the height of the COVID pandemic, but it is still pretty gnarly, even though vaccines are out. Yeah. Um, and you spend a lot of time talking about just how awful it was at meat processing facilities in particular during the pandemic but it's you know it's not like it was ever really good and it's not like it's good now no definitely not meat processing i mean in the u.s especially since uh it was industrialized and factory farming came over from the uk and is still uh very very popular in the u.s um has been pretty uniformly a catastrophe for workers and animals Um, and it's, uh, frustrating because there's been a lot of good reporting about it over the years, but there's, hasn't been like, um, reporting and it's weird because it's like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle isn't really reporting. It's a work of fiction, but because of the research that he did, uh, to make that book by working in a Chicago meat processing plant and, and, you know, reflecting that in his book, that was the last time that a, any sort of, uh, written work had significant impact on uh, meat processing as a whole. There's still very, very few laws, uh, none of which have are recent, like, you know, past half century recent, um, that are intended to, uh, for animals, uh, provide death with dignity and for workers provide a livable wage protections. And there are uh, meat packing unions, but over the years, they've lost power pretty significantly. Um, they are not as powerful as they once were. There were a series of really great reports by ProPublica that specifically focused on how um, the 
basically the pandemic made all of these existing issues within the meatpacking process, um, the meatpacking industry just, you know, turned up to a 20, uh, with very few people actually paying attention because there was just so much going wrong. And I mean, even I, I think back to April, 2020 and remembering that there was a, uh, you know, a, Oh, what am I thinking of? The executive order from Trump that um, even though uh, so many places were locked down, meatpacking and the meatpacking industry had to stay open. And, you know, it, 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 the way it was delivered felt like because meat consumption is so American and Americans cannot go without their meat. Uh, and what that led to is it was basically carte blanche for uh, the CEOs of huge meatpacking companies like Tyson and Smithfield in particular to treat their workers as if they their lives were completely disposable. And I mean, working in meatpacking plants was one of the most dangerous things you could possibly do during COVID. It was, I believe, one of the top, if not the top profession um, where you were most likely to, to die of COVID. Um, and there was so much reporting on how uh, down the line, uh, it was eventually discovered that uh, the CEOs of Tyson and Smithfield, the two of the biggest uh, plants in the world and who do di distribution for places like Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs, um, were essentially colluding with the government and provided the, uh, you know, rough drafts of this executive order. And uh, you hear stories of even like middle management of like foremen at these um, at these factories taking bets on how many of their employees are going to get sick. Like it's really, really horrific. And there has not been really any, uh, meaningful legislation to protect workers and with less union power on top of, um, something that I wish I had had more space in the book to talk about more, but AGAG laws, which are essentially laws placed from state to state. It's not everywhere, but it's in quite a few places. Um, that, is basically a legislation that attempts to thwart technology um, in terms of reporters having access to see what goes on in meat packing plants and um, at making it legally really difficult for employees to document workplace abuses and animal abuses and all this other stuff. And so there's been more legislation that puts people and animals in danger than have protected them in the last half century. And yeah, COVID, I mean, just exacerbated it all. And not very much has changed. Yeah. I mean, I felt reading your book like a reminder of all the reasons why I was vegan when I was a teenager. But yeah. obviously, I'm not I'm not vegan anymore. Like, I had a, a delicious hot dog while reading your book. Yeah. I mean, I can relate. I, I know all this. And I still eat hot dogs. And it's like, you know, what do you do with that? I don't know. Yeah. What do you do about it? I mean, it's it's really tough to navigate. And I feel like we're in that situation with so many things about modern society. Yeah. But hot dogs, in a way, are like the ultimate American product in that it just is all condensed and coagulated in this little tube of horror that just is also delicious. Nasty little gooey tube. Yeah. I've um, felt, you know, self-conscious since I've been promoting the book about the fact that I still eat hot dogs. It's a question I got a lot. Uh, and rightfully so, you know, I think that it's like a part of the process to feel self-conscious about it. Um, and the closest I've been able to get to figuring out how I square that is, um, because I know about, you know, the specifics and I try to provide it within the book of companies that are 
treating uh, their workers and, um, and animals um, exceptionally poorly. Uh, I tried to, because I am still a meat eater, um, buy hot dogs from places that actually treat their employees well. Um, and so it's never going to be as effective as being vegan. <laughs> totally acknowledge that. Um, but that has been, um, sort of as closest to us, uh, to a solution as I've been able to do. But again, that is like, even my being able to do that is like, ha there's some privilege attached to that. Not everyone has that. Um, so, you know, the hot dog mystery, I didn't, I didn't solve it, but I tried to contextualize it. Yeah. I mean, and there's a huge gamut of hot dogs out there, right? And places you can get them. And I don't yeah. think I quite realized like the extent of it before reading your book, which congratulations. I know there are drive-in hot dog stands oh now. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> that's like Southern hot dog culture with the car parks for, I just love, and that, that's also so, I don't know, like uh, mid-century American coded to me of like, you're, you get your hot dogs and you make out with your straight boyfriend and then you go to the football game kind of like, it's like a Norman Rockwell painting that like didn't really exist, but like we're supposed to think definitely super existed. And there's like a whole code for how you order. I mean, how did you, did yeah. you just Google like how to do the lights at the drive-in? Part of what I love about small hot dog businesses is everywhere has their own rules. Like there's not really consistent like that. Yeah, the, the place where you turn your lights on uh, or like you're not supposed to turn your lights on uh, or there's like a blinking system. That's just at that place in North Carolina. Uh, there's other car parks where um, it has to do with like if your window is in or out, like there's all there's every place has a different system. Uh, some places you get out of your car to order. Other places they come to you and they think you're weird if you get out of your car. Uh, I got some really dirty looks in New Mexico for getting out of the car. They're like, what are you doing? Stop wandering the lot. We come to you. And it's that's the best part is like there's rules. They're posted nowhere. It's strictly on like because there's such hyper local businesses. It's basically a if you know, you know situation. So I would try to get ahead of it and Google places. But even so, that's only if there's so intense a fandom around this hot dog stand that someone is like disgusted on a message board or something like that or it was like locally reported there was one that you went to the varsity of atlanta yeah i've never been there but i recognized it because i watched a clip of pbs's incredible a hot dog program <gasps> and the guy's definitely that. in there <laughs> yes he definitely is oh my gosh he's such a legend yeah i i also love that documentary um i'm gonna talk to him in pittsburgh pretty soon i'm really excited so the varsity started as a very hyper local if you know you know car park kind of place um but it became uh more and more famous over the years uh their famous slogan is what do you have what do you have which is from a specific employee Irby Walker um who worked there for decades and decades to the point where and he became so locally famous that he like carried the olympic torch for a second when the olympics were in atlanta like that became so big a deal that they sort of were like all right there's a lot of tourists coming we should tell them how to order in our weird way. It's fascinating that there are all of these rules and whatnot. And honestly, I was stunned too at the variety of hot dogs. Like I took your publisher's quiz and I'm a Chicago <laughs> style dog, which I, nice. I vaguely, I vaguely know what that is, but I, I don't know the difference between like a white hot and a red hot. And like, 
There's a Sonoran dog, which seems like a regionalism. Like, how regional are these things? Very regional. I mean, that was something that, and I, I did not fully know that. I only knew that that there were. Di- I knew that there were different makes because uh, I just like hot dogs. Um, but as I was sort of mapping out where I want to go, it became clear that it's um, it's cool. Like the hot dog is kind of this canvas in a lot of ways and internationally too if i had the budget and it was safe to go international it's like i've since had colombian hot dogs and icelandic hot dogs and you know hot dog poutine like all this stuff um but within the u.s i mean it's it is pretty reflective of the food culture of where you are so the sonoran dog um is in the southwest and um there's because you know borders are made up it's also in uh, northern mexico as well and there are bacon wrapped dogs um that are in this amazing bun iconic i want everyone to have this bun where it's like the hot dog is completely surrounded and held by the bun um and there's beans on it but the bun is toasted so it doesn't turn to gluten in your hands i love the sonoran dog and it's sort of a play on one of my favorite hot dogs in the world which is like outside of the Staples Center and Dodger Stadium. They're like bacon wraps at independent carts. The best. But that didn't answer your question, really. I just sort of talked about a hot dog. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it did answer my question, but it is kind of funny because you said it like depends on where you are. But also like one of the best dogs that you mentioned having is from the Texas Tavern in Virginia. So that's not really where you are. And then like Toledo has the best Hungarian hot dogs. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird. Um, You, I like... Usually you can trace why that is, but it is like, it's so, so confusing. I've never encountered a food that is like both really, really well marketed, but also like completely baffling. Um, because yeah, Texas Tavern is amazing and nowhere near Texas and people in Texas do not know this place exists. And it's not the kind of hot dogs that Texas is known for. Texas isn't really a big hot dog, uh, place. Um, and it usually is because, uh, you know, if, if Texas Tavern opens in Virginia, that's because the recipe or the person who opens that business is just from there. Um, much the same with Hungarian hot dogs, where it was just a uh, Hungarian immigrants who lived in the U.S. And they're like, it's the Hungarian hot dog because I'm Hungarian and I made it. Like, it doesn't have a lot to do with Hungarian food traditions. There's just everyone's making up their own rules with hot dogs. It's really bizarre. And I find it incredibly charming. It seemed like there was an especial concentration of variety once you hit the East Coast. Because, you know, Texas is a a big portion of the, like, southern part of the U.S. if you're going laterally. And it just seemed like a desert, as you said. Mm -hmm. But then you hit the East Coast and suddenly there's, like, North Carolina. There's Virginia. There's, like, Ben's Chili Bowl. There's Atman's, which has a bologna-wrapped hot dog. (laughs) There's all these varieties. Kind of iconically too much food at it's three meals in one not just two <laughs> it's so i feel like there's a lot of that's the my bone to pick with a chicago hot dog i don't think it's actually two meals i think it's one meal and then some wet lettuce um but the uh but the atman's hot dog holy cow it is just like i felt like i was going to explode like it was a little scary but it was delicious but if i did feel like i was gonna you know die Obviously, there's a lot of regional differences, and I I don't want to start any, like, 
turf wars or have like the Carolina dog people like gunning for the Chicago dog people, let alone the Coney Island dog people. I sound like a, a fool because I'm not even using the, the right words. Well, but... and it's like Coney Island dogs are popular in Detroit. And so it's like confusing. <laughs> it's very confusing. Get it straight, America. Uh, <laughs> what like what makes for a good dog across these regional differences? It's really it's ultimately not for me to say. Like if it's a hot, I, and that's part of what I, another thing I love about hot dogs is like people tend to have really strong attachments to the one that they like because I think a lot of people just start eating them when they're kids and see it's almost like an irrational nostalgic attachment because some of them are pretty gnarly. Uh, But for me, in terms of like as an adult woman, what I like in a hot dog is uh, bun infrastructure. I like a toasted or steamed bun that can like actually hold toppings because sometimes you'll get a hot dog has all these toppings and then it's just a grocery store bun with nothing done to reinforce it and then it just turns to goo in your hands and it's um I find it frustrating I love bacon wraps I love extra protein um I am a ketchup head which is controversial I don't know how I will fare in Chicago we'll see um because they do not like ketchup there, but ketchup, mustard, relish. Um, I could go for some onions. And then there's regional mix that I like. I really, I particularly like the Sonoran dog. Um, and I like the, uh, the Seattle dog, which some people think is gross, but they're wrong. What is the Seattle dog? I don't think I've ever had one. The Seattle dog um, you, uh, has cream cheese inside of a toasted bun, which... Oh, I don't know about that. But if you think about it, it's a deconstructed bagel with meat, I think. Toasted bread, cream cheese, protein. Basically, bagel with logs. <laughs> Something to consider. <laughs> Do you feel like your taste in hot dogs got better or worse by the end of this trip, given like the sheer variety you had to taste? Um, I, th- I think better. It would be a bummer if it got worse. <laughs> I think better. We have links in the show notes to Jamie Loftus's new book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs, a book where I'm not sure whether I recommend eating before or after reading it. You'll just have to make your own choice. I've also put in the link to something you simply must see if you haven't yet, a hot dog program, which is actually something that aired on PBS and is pure delight. Put it on while you're prepping for your next grilling session. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp.